this is Theo Blackmore from the Discover Plus podcast sessions. And today I'm talking to... Luke Murray. Luke Murray. Good to see you again. I haven't seen you for quite a long time. No, it's been a while. It's been a it while. Has been a while. So the first time I met you, I don't know when the first time I met you, we have to kind of come clean on it a bit because I've known you kind of my entire life because I was hanging around in my dad knew your dad because they were both potters. Mm. And so I remember coming over to your house as a tiny lad and being impressed because you had a record collection. And then you'd come in with leathers on and walk out on a motorbike. <laughs> Long time ago, back in the day in Praising People. But the reason why we got together professionally was because I sort of came to see you, I remember, and it must have been about 1995, was it? I don't know when it was even. It might have been earlier than that, but it could have been around then, yeah. I was right. sort of, just, I was just trying to date it. When, what year was the um, the Disability Discrimination Act? I should know that. 98, was it? 96. 96. Because that was sort of just sort of appearing over the horizon. And because uh, you'd, you'd just been diagnosed with ms hadn't you and you'd just come back from from spain yeah i was um, living i was living in barcelona diagnosed with ms and that was in 93 so then i came back to penzance and then i probably was doing stuff for about a year or maybe 18 months and then i kind of got involved and got this idea so then i came to see you to float the initial idea wasn't it when i i remember coming in your front room and talking to you about all this and about what an idea it might be although it didn't have a name then, but there was no organisation with anybody to talk to in Cornwall. Yeah, well, you were just sort of, I think you were sort of coming to Cornwall with sort of quite fresh eyes and realised that the, the the sort of the lack of provisioning for disabled people in Cornwall, or, the, or certainly the lack of empowerment of disabled people in Cornwall to have any sort of say in, in, their, in their lives, how their lives is run, um, was sort of, you know, very apparent to you. And I think... Um, and at that stage, you know, I think you were you were sort of far more um, switched on to I think the, the the sort of the the needs of disabled people in Cornwall, and I think you you sort of realised that you know we we was rather than being the the passive recipients of of care or aid from you know social services or whatever that we you know we should be able to have be a bit more um, proactive in having a say in how things are run. So you suggested that we should set up this you know a disability organization to to address that and um i think um because at that time I, I can't remember was i still working for the cab or was i doing the yes so i was that's right yeah i was trying to put it all in in order chronologically and um but that's right because i'd done a journalism course um prior to that and uh, and so you suggested that i should you know that one of the things we needed in Cornwall was a disability magazine, and um, that, uh, <laughs> that and because I'd done some journalism, that uh, you know I would be the ideal person to do it, and so that was sort of one of the one of the strands when we set up uh, Aldis, short for All Disabilities. So that was funny, isn't it? Because back in the early days, then, so you were literally still volunteering at the CAB. And you were adamant that you wanted to do that information and advice stuff. And, you know, that is kind of the biggest bit of that's kind of the most consistent bit of disability provisioning Cornwall since that day, really, is because thousands of people phone up and they have their needs not being met. Hmm. And so it would have been great. But I, I was really into the idea of a magazine. So I kept pushing you down that road. And then that's yeah. and then we got 
you know, we applied to the National Lottery and got some funding for it. Mm. Well, that's that's sort of slightly yes. Um, yeah, actually, no, no. We got the first bit of the we got we we did the sort of the 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 first edition um, before that, and and then managed to get the the funding on the back of that of on the back of that first. You remember that blueprint edition we called it, which was just a sort of eight page A four thing. Which um, yeah, my friend Martin Nixon, who's a graphic designer. Was because yes, because you kept sort of saying, you know, we kept having meetings and we were sort of setting up all this and the Cornwall Disability Forum and things like that. And then you were sort of, so how's the magazine going then? How's it going? Mm, sort of, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and then suddenly you said, right, well, we're getting the forum going. And I think we got it ready for the first disability forum, didn't we? Am I right in thinking that? Yeah, I mean, you kind of glossed over the idea of the blueprint. The blueprint was a great one because the magazine was printed and it, blatantly all the print in it was blue. Yeah. And the graphics... Well, that, was, were... that was purely down because I, I at the time, I, um, Martin's, I was Martin Nixon, the, the design, you know, Nixon Design, who's quite a sort of, you know, leading agency in Cornwall now, is, um, was at the, at the time I was, I was going out with his sister and I sort of mentioned this and bumped into Martin in the in the pub one day, and I sort of said, "I'm supposed to be putting a magazine together. I don't know." So he went, oh, "Come into the come into the office on Monday, and we'll we'll have a look." And so he sort of, you know, very much um, took me under his wing and helped me, uh, you know, put put all that together and and you know how to get it printed and all the rest of it. And and uh, so that was that was how we sort of finally got it got it underway. Fortunately, it was was you know Martin helping helping me out. You know, Which was great. That was when you were in. Um, that was in Penzance, wasn't it? Behind the Green Market. Indeed, yeah, upstairs and overlooking the Green Market car park. Yeah. yeah. Which was the most inaccessible offices you can possibly imagine. Is wasn't it <laughs> a massive, massive flight of stairs to get to the top of it? It was. It was. And um, yeah, fun days though. I mean, yeah, and he was he was a sort of solo operator in those days. You know, he right. was literally a, a one man band, and. Um, yeah, and then very, very kindly, you know, he's incredibly patient because I, I did the ended up doing the first few issues of of the magazine from there, and constantly sort of, you know, Martin's actually trying to earn a living doing design, and I'm sort of going, Martin, don't do, you come over and do it, and then, you know, oh, I've forgotten what you said, couldn't so, you know, so so I sort of, you know, because I was I was very, you know, a, a computer luddite. And just couldn't couldn't get my head around using it at all. And then and then you know once once there was a sort of specific goal in mind, producing a magazine, I was you know it all became a lot clearer. And so um, yeah, so I learned how to use a Mac and and how to you know do design stuff. Hmm. So let's think back though, because that when we're talking then is nineteen ninety four or ninety five. Hmm. There were not computers back in those days. You know, I had an, I remember because I was in a flat up in uh, behind the police station in Penzance and basically I had an Amiga. And what you did with the Amigas was you plugged it into your telly and sit, oh, on, the floor, right. and sit on the floor typing away. And so that's basically, I used to write letters and stuff to people. And, you know, there was no internet back in those days that was readily available. So the whole thing was just a completely different planet. It was. Well, it, it, there was, I mean, it, Working at Martin's, there was there's he did have you know Apple Macs, but they were you know looking back now they were you know ridiculously slow and 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 you had the sort of early sort of that dial up 
um, you know, uh, with the, you know, where you get all the funny noises when you dialed yeah. into the, to connect to the internet. And it was it was very very slow, but um, yeah. it was sort of yeah. But it was already it was starting to move forwards at quite a pace. You know, there was sort of the, the whole technology was suddenly starting to really snowball at that point. But um, yeah. And so that was kind of the early days of the magazine and you called it, I mean, what I remember about it was it was a very strong push from you because you were in the office of Martin and Martin was a graphic designer. And mm. so the push was for it to be a design piece as much as an information and advice piece for disabled people. So I remember the title you had it and the title was all lowercase and you were very clear about what font you wanted to have it all in and yeah. just all kind of stuff and it was really interesting because it was a very stylish magazine mm. you know and it, it was... helps you know if it's easy, if it's something's easy on the eye and yeah. it looks good and and um professional for want of a better word you know then it it leads you in leads the eye in whereas if it's a sort of you know a bit of a sort of mishmash then you know it just sort of you know it, it doesn't engage as as well i don't think but so I, you know, I was that was why i was sort of doubly lucky really to 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 you know, come across Martin when I did and, and, you know, get him to sort of, you know, give me that, give me that push, the impetus to, to, to get it going. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's back in the day, definitely when most disability organizations, when there were disability organizations produced a newsletter, just from a little, just from their own computer and a printer and they'd print out 50 or a hundred or a thousand or whatever. And you get this, you know, I remember all sorts of different organizations used to operate in that way. So they weren't designed things in any way shape or form really and so mm. this was a very different beast and i think that's what the lottery liked about it and so that was the blueprint and we then got three years lottery funding that's right yeah yeah which yeah. also enabled us to buy you know our own equipment and you know apple mac and scanner and you know all the other sort of ephemera that you need to go with it yeah which, um, yeah which was great oh and then yes and then of course we got the um the office in in um uh, the the Leonard Cheshire home. Oh, that was it. The next stage was that we 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 had the upstairs. Well, it basically had an empty loft, didn't they? And so yeah. we, you had an office and I had an office because I was working them for Radar, mm. which is the Royal Association for Disability and Rehabilitation, and you were next door in the office doing the magazine. That's right. Yeah. And there were no windows, and it was really hot. So we were just in a loft. It was pretty hot. I just, I, I can't. I think there were windows. There must have been windows. You can't be... Or maybe maybe you were in a box and I was I was in a somewhere more salubrious. I can't remember now. But um, it was a funny old place because it sort of smelled a bit funny and it was on its last legs because it was it was knocked down, wasn't it? It was demolished. That Not building that like after we after we left. I think that building. Why yeah. we, we had to why we had to leave, wasn't it? Because they were they were knocking it down to build something new and swanky. Yeah. So, they were getting loads of funding. That was it. Because it's the first, as it turns out, it's the first Everlander Cheshire building in the entire country, that one. Oh, right. They started, the first one was started out on the Lizard and they basically did up an officer's mess on an old airfield. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it's down at Pradanic or somewhere, wasn't it? Yeah. And then they got a bit of land donated by Lord St. Levin. And so they built that one there and that was the first ever one. So there's photographs of Leonard Cheshire on his hand, you know, digging a hole in the ground for the first footings for the building. Ah, right. So it was an old building, so they knocked it down and rebuilt it. Except, I think, for that bit. The bit that we were in is still there, I think, but I don't know what it is now. I think it's just offices. Okay. 
but yeah we were there because it was rent free you know the guy that worked there at the time was david wasn't it and he said yeah come on come and be in here and get a younger audience with the with the residents Mm. i mean that's another side of it is the fact that we were we were quite um because we were sort of cutting new ground in many ways because i mean the the existing disability organizations in cornwall were a little bit either you know that the whole sort of movement towards um you know disabled organizations that are actually led by disabled people rather than for disabled people was was a sort of just that was sort of gaining momentum as well and then but the the disability organizations that existed in cornwall were, were a little bit they they were a little bit blinkered i think i think weren't they in their in their approach and i think I mean, we ended up sort of absorbing some of the people from the other organisations into our organisation. I think as they, you know, as they, as they, I think because it became aware that we were sort of the uh, we were the only game in town, really. Well, it was interesting, wasn't it? So there are very interesting times because we used to hold our management committee meetings at the mobility centre up in Truro, yeah, mm. behind the Trillis Hospital. And so I was thinking back to those days about the organisations that were around and some of the names of the people who were involved. And, you know, they all did really good work. They were very single issue, though. So the, there was the Access Group, which had one of the best names, which had one of the best names. I really like their name, which was Proper Access Now in Cornwall. Oh, yeah. Panic. Yes. <laughs> so, they, you know, there was a whole gang of people involved in that. And they did access work and they they did their thing. And I remember going to the, one of their early, one of my, well, one of their meetings to tell them about the idea that I had for setting up all this. And mm. I was really quite frightened of going in there because I thought they'd all be, oh, well, no, we've already got that market corner. We're already doing that. But they were the opposite. They said, yeah, no, we're not, we're not doing that. And nor is anyone else. So it'd be really good. Mm. Um. But yeah, some of those people did come on board, didn't they, for the old management committee for all this? Yeah, I mean, well, specifically, I'm thinking of June Hackett, who was sort of the the leading light of panic, wasn't she? Who, who yeah. uh, came on board. But uh, yeah, I think, but I mean, in some ways, they're you know, although they were great and did an awful lot of work and and you know, doing you know, um, accessibility um, assessments and things like that, but. Uh, but they hadn't really sort of thought, you know, that they hadn't really grasped the, the 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 sort of the new, the sort of more slightly more forward thinking, uh, sort of um, approach to 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 disability, which I think I think we brought to the brought to the the table. I think, but but I think also interestingly, um, social services as they were then. We're also, you know, with the with the um, with the Disability Discrimination Act looming on the horizon, and I think they suddenly realised that they had to um, up their game a little bit in how they engaged with disabled people, rather than, you know, being a, you know, rather than it being a sort of prescriptive thing that they had to sort of actually, you know, accept that, um, uh, you know, disabled people had a had a voice and had a right to 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 how they to to say how they get um you know how they get their services delivered and you know and later on you know with things like direct payments you know they were we were sort of you know very much involved with, with um you know how they set that up in Cornwall but uh and also social services got quite um yeah because remember we had a meeting with um Nigel Drews who was then the the, 
the chief exec of uh, social services. And, um, and we were sort of thinking about pitching and then they just basically, you know, they, before we could pitch, they pretty much offered to, uh, to help fund the, the magazine, didn't they? They gave us, and the, and the whole organisation actually, wasn't it? Yeah, they took out, didn't they take a full page advert every issue or something like that? I th yes, I think they did. That was something like that. Anyway, so they yeah. put a bit of information in it all the time. That was that kind of basis. I mean, there were some, uh, what I remember about that time is that there were some really key individuals in social services who were pushing the, pushing our, so back in the day before I came to you, mate, no, no, after I'd come to you and we kind of got the magazine going and got Aldis going a bit, mm. Aldis was going before the forum was going. And the way the forum got going was because one of the people who worked in social services offered to fund me to go to a conference that was in London in the Holloway Road. And it was run by an organisation called the, Asi the Alliance of Disability Advice and Information Providers. And I don't think they exist anymore, Dave, but they produce these really good booklets and guides about how to make information accessible for disabled people. So I got all of those. But the main point was that I went to this meeting in the Holloway Road in this the voluntary sector forum in the, in the Holloway Road. Hmm. And um, it was the first time I'd ever been in a room and everybody who was in the room was a disabled person. And I was like, this is amazing. Let's just do this. This needs to happen in Cornwall. So then I came to Cornwall and we got the, we, we set the forum up and held the first meeting up at St. Austell. Hmm. Everyone came along and joined in and it was really good. And that's where you used to bring the magazines and launch the magazines every time. So you'd show up with box loads of magazines. Yes, that's right. Yeah, and just that's one of the main main reasons everyone came along. I think because they could then take a box of magazines away with them. Hmm. It was sort of hot off the press. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was amazing because that was then. So that was Stella and Mike who funded me to go to London to go to that Adape conference. And I think it was just a train ticket, and I stayed with my friend. Hmm. It was nothing luxurious or anything, but um, yeah. It was um that was the beginning of the disability forum and uh, yeah and i think that was quite a, a quite a thing actually because it um it gained a lot of traction very quickly i think and it you know I mean, there were there were um you know we had uh you know remember we had you know sign language um interpreters there and uh it was yeah it was quite difficult i mean in some ways it was quite difficult to be and there's something I was I was going to I was thinking about before um, before we started this is that is this the whole inclusivity of the you know that there's such a breadth of disabilities out there, and I sort of one of the things I always found quite awkward as a sort of you know running the magazine, I was sort of sometimes interviewed or uh, you know on the radio or for a newspaper or whatever, and I was suddenly sort of becoming like a you know, like a spokesman for disabled people. And it's like, I just felt really quite awkward, you know, because it's like, you know, I don't know anything about, you know, what it's like to be, you know, sight impaired or whatever. And, and um, you know, it's like, I know about spinal injury, specifically, you know, lumbar spinal injury. That's that's my special speciality, you know. And um, so uh, it was, you know, that was a sort of funny thing i mean we tried you know and i think which is why the magazine was quite good because you know i was always it, it, trying to encourage you know other people to to write and contribute towards it so that 
um you know people who are you know sight impaired or deaf or whatever can can write from their their perspective you know and and um yeah very interesting though it was sort of you know it was a real learning curve for me as well and um well it was for all of us i mean i I like the way that you said that I came in with all these great big new ideas about disability and how dis the state of the disability sector in Cornwall. I didn't know anything. I'd come from Barcelona where I'd got involved with the local MS society out there in Barcelona. So that was where I had the kind of idea of sitting in a room with other disabled people and talking about what it was. Hmm. And um, Then I went to that conference in London, our date, and I came back from that um, talking about the social model of disability because that's what they talked about. And that was all the language that they used. But I found a letter. Jane gave me a letter. Jane, the chief exec of Disability Cornwall, mm. gave me a letter which she had they had in their records. And it was I'd written it to Cornwall Disabled Association. And the letter I'd written was about how the disabled in Cornwall aren't getting what they need anymore. And so the disabled think that. And it was very much medical model and very much written in the way that I obviously didn't know the social model in those days. So it was a yeah. learning for all of us we're all learning on this and i read so many meetings we'd have management committee meetings and we'd all be trying to get our heads around it and explain it to each other mm. some people cottoned on more quickly than others <laughs> yes very true and um it was very useful i remember and also i remember um one of the meetings when we were one of our sort of formative meetings was which was very useful was uh when andrew george came along too who was at uh, well, that was before he became an MP, wasn't it? And he was, yeah, um, he was a vice chair, wasn't he, for the Cornwall Rural Community Council? That's it, yeah. And he came and gave us some very, very, you know, sage advice about, you know, how to, um, how to sort of um, clarify what our mission was and what our sort of mission statement should be and what a mission statement is. And yeah, these sort of these sort of things that he was, yeah. There was some there was some sort of useful people out there, definitely. And um Well, he we, came to my flat and he sat in my flat with me and we physically wrote the constitution for the disability forum. Because he, you know, he, oh, could, wow. he, he could I guess he downloaded them or he just had a copy and so because they're bog standard forms, aren't they? You can just get them off the internet these days mm. and then change the names and make them relevant to your organization. Yeah, it was all that, a was, week, that was another all that was another sort of useful milestone i suppose and in, in you know as we as we moved forwards i think it must be a bit confusing for people listening to this that, that uh, we're sort of i think we're sort of jumping backwards and forwards a little bit as as memories just sort of ping into uh, into our heads and yeah but uh, so um maybe you'll just have to try and edit it no i don't think we will i think i think the point being that in the beginning of it all we were we didn't really know what we were doing because we were making it up as we went along. Mm. There wasn't an example to follow as such, because there wasn't an internet, so we couldn't contact an organisation in London very easily and say, hey, look, come and tell us what to do. And there wasn't really an overarching organisation telling us what to do or helping people to do it. So we kind of got together and did it. And yeah. I think the point really that I one of the points I wanted from this conversation was to to be able to say to disabled people, disabled people who are sitting in areas across the country which don't have organisations, well, they're not that difficult to set up. You've got to get a gang of people together with a similar kind of framework and then sit in a room and figure it out and do it. 
Yeah, very true. You know, and I think in many ways, you know, as you were saying, because now that there's an awful lot more resources available online these days that I think it's, you know, I think it could be, a, a if not simpler, certainly a, a quicker process to get going. And, and quite often you, you, you will, um, you know, I found, especially with, you know, um, social services at the time, that it was, it was, um, you know, we were sort of almost pushing on an open door, you know, that they were, you know, they, they wanted, you know, disability organization, you know, with a, with a, you know, to, um, with an agenda to, to come and to come and say, this is, you know, this is what, what's needed. And I think they were, they were quite happy to be, um, you know, um, led to some extent, you know, as to what, what disabled people needed in, in Cornwall. But, that's mm. quite, it is quite unusual. There are still lots of local authorities that don't even talk to their local disabled people's organisation. And so there is, that is still quite a challenge. There was at that time that we were setting up, there was a statutory obligation for them to do that. Not an obligation, but they were kind of encouraged, should we say. Because do you remember there was back in the day when Tony Blair got elected in 1997, they brought out all this legislation and then they started writing into legislation user-led organisations. And so local authorities suddenly then have to take a bit of notice of us. Mm. So there was kind of um, they were local authorities were advised that where there wasn't one already in existence, that they should help to set one up. So there might have been a bit of that going on as well. I mean, I think that again, I think that's all, that was sort of probably all tied in with the with the DDA coming in, wasn't it? And that sort of um, you know that the, the, they realised that there was a you know the the, the the whole um the the playing field had sort of changed a little bit yeah yeah so there we go so that's then and then um the big question um to ask you really is why did you call it discover and not discovery <laughs> um because it was you know it was covering disabled issues so discover there you go. Because that was always a big bone of contention. I remember that you used to come around effing and jeffing after you'd been giving them out and people always coming up to you saying, can I have a copy of Discovery? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Discover. Yeah, the amount of times I said that. So Mind you, we came up with a few alternative names for the magazine before we settled on that. You remember? Yeah. <laughs> but, but we decided against them, didn't we, for some reason. I don't remember what that was now. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. it worked. It worked. So what did it do as an organisation? What did it do? Setting up a disability organisation. I mean, I remember in the early days, I mean, now that I look back on it, the reason why you set up a disabled people's organisation is because it does loads of stuff. So number one, it provides services. And it Number two, it does that information and advice stuff. So disabled people get a hold of things like information and advice to get their benefits entitlement, you know, like the CAB does, but kind of much more directed and specific about disability issues. Mm. Um, but also it provides disabled people with opportunities to get social contact and to increase their skills and to get an income at the end of the day. And these are real sort of, I've started thinking about them as little oases for disabled people to come together into these spaces and really change their lives around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
because there are a it, lot. It, of well, no, I mean, it certainly did for me, and I sort of, I, and I still very much think of of you as a as the catalyst that um, you know, that got me on this on this um track, you know, by um, you know, because I was sort of, I wasn't, I was apart from working at the CAB as a volunteer, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't employed, and I wasn't doing that much, and you, you sort of dragged me kicking and screaming into this sort of you know come on let's get you know okay and so you know i once i once i'd sort of you know picked up the ball and run with it for a bit but um it was uh yeah it was and and so yeah it definitely ended up with myself getting employment out of it and much to the despair of the the cab because he's you know because the the Brilliant thing about the Citizens Advice Bureau is, you know, you become a you become a, a trained advice advice worker, and then, um, you know, quite often people, you know, having got skills, and you know, it's a great thing to have on your CV. Not that I needed it on my CV for to to move into Discover, but you know, an awful lot of people start working as as advice workers and then get a proper paid job as a result. And similarly, you know, through uh, through um, you know setting up um all this and the forum and the magazine you know and i ended up getting um lottery funding so i ended up uh, you know being employed doing the magazine for however many years it was six years seven years it was six years we got three-year lottery funding but then we got it renewed which is really unusual i think mm. and yeah. it was the only days the lottery of course because the lottery was a brand new thing in those days yeah it was it was so it was quite quite sort of um yeah, so it was quite easy to get money out of them there. Well, it was a bit. It was much easier <laughs> then than it is now because, yeah, you know. And I remember we got a local contact in the lottery and he tried to get me onto the management committee of the lottery board and I said no because there'd be too much of a conflict of interest because at that time I was working for Radar. Oh, right. Okay. I recommended that they contact Steve at that time who did mm. go onto the lottery board for quite a l- number of years, I think. Who did, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. But... um. Yeah, there wasn't a conflict of interest, as it turns out, and there, I think Radar was a bit upset that I didn't go on it, but never mind. Mm. Can't do everything. <laughs> but yeah, no, it worked for me as well, so I got skills and opportunities, and there we go. I've been employed from then till today. You know, mm. I've got a PhD on the back of it, and blah, blah. So it's, you know, it's a, a whole new furrow to, to plough, really. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've you've sort of very much stayed stayed with in that field and and, and carried on. Whereas, you know, I I sort of well, I ended up going to work for for Martin Nixon after after Discover. So, um, which uh, you know, having done six years, it was probably time for me to move on. And um, which as I as I did and ended up yeah working working in the in the field of graphic design. So. Um, so that's the other thing, you see, about how the org- the skills that you earn in these organisations can be transferable to work in other organisations. So yeah. That's, yeah. that's really useful well, so. to say mm. people, Yeah. Yeah, whistle-stop tour. Anyway, what we haven't done is talk about your favourite bit of the magazine. What was that? Oh, God, doing the... the um... The car reviews. Showing up at my house with the Mercedes Benz or whatever it was, or a BMW, and <laughs> driving it for a week. I can believe it. Yeah, no, no, because um, yeah, we had a, a a chap got in touch, 
saying, oh, would you like um, would you like someone to do car reviews for the magazine? And I went, yeah, yeah, all right, that'd be quite good. And um, yeah, bizarrely, it's funny enough, it was, uh, do you remember, it was the father of Jeanette Tate, you know, the, the girl who went missing. Yeah. Which is, which is well, apropos of nothing, but yeah, anyway, he, he um, ended up doing, I don't know, I can't remember, three or four different car reviews. And he said, "Yeah, yeah, you just get, you know, you get in touch with the the press officers at the at the the press fleet of these of these, um, you know, each of the, each motor manufacturer." And he he had just got sort of like really quite dull little cars, <laughs> weren't, weren't very interesting. And then he sort of said, "Well, I'm 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 going to knock this on the head now, but you know, I'll I'll give you my contacts and the the you know the, the book of numbers or whatever you need." And so he gave me all the details and he said, yeah, yeah, you can do that. So, I was, you know, looking at it, I was like, well, you know, I want to, I want to write that one. I want to try that one. And Didn't so, you get a Maserati? I got two. <laughs> and and uh, uh. Maseratis and Audis and Jaguars and, uh, yeah, also BMWs. Yeah, they're also very, some really very, very fast cars. And, <laughs> and every time they delivered it, you know, they sort of. I mean, I remember the, one of the first ones. I got this brand new Audi, and they actually dropped it off off the back of a flatbed lorry. So it was. I had virtually no miles on the clock, absolutely pristine. Wow! And they just like gave you the keys. You know, what? <laughs> yeah. Okay. We'll pick it up in a week. You know, and it's brilliant. Absolutely fantastic. And. um yeah, and then so yeah, I've got managed to get um yeah, a couple of Maseratis, which were extraordinary cars, very, very fast, very, very nice. And because it's a bit of a it's a bit treacherous because you know, famously you like being going fast. I remember being driven by you in one of the cars in the passenger seat, and I kept having to check the seatbelt at all times because you do <laughs> like you do like the right hand pedal. I did. I'm, I'm, I have mellowed out a bit these days, but um, yeah, funnily enough, I was uh, bumped into Martin Nixon the other day, and we were talking about those times. And I had an Audi TT um, with a with a great big engine in it, and we went flying off down to Lands End and back. And at one point, Martin said, "I love my children." So, <laughs> <laughs> driving along. Yeah. Oh, bless him! But. Um, yeah, he's still going. It's gone very well for him. His business is doing really well, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it has, well, it's gone very well. Well, he's now sort of um, stepped back from it, and he's he's handed over the business to the to his employees, and they've set it up as a I forget what the, the phrase is, but it's sort of like a, a uh, an employee collective, and uh, where he's um, Barton's, I think, now effectively like a, a shareholder or something like that. So if they start making a profit, then, you know, he gets some dividends from it. So, um, uh, which is very good for him, you know, and he's got, he's he's sort of got um, other fish to fry these days. So um, he's, he's sort of moved on. But uh, yeah, there's really quite a, quite a good, good thing to do, I think. Yeah. Hey, look, that's brilliant. Thank you very much for your time. Anything no, else? Anything else we should talk about? Let's all talk at the same time for the yeah, next 15 I minutes. Is there anything else that. to talk about that we haven't yeah. spoken about? 
No, I was just thinking it's just sort of hopefully it isn't too too uh, disjointed for someone who's who's coming at it from the you know from out from the outside as it were. But uh, yeah, no, it's been nice going down memory lane. Memory lane. I mean, I think it might just be worthwhile saying that there is a load of people behind the scenes, a load of people involved along the whole course of the whole journey. You know, and we we spoke about panic a bit. And there was a bunch of people involved in that organisation. There was June and Barry. Uh, there was Diana and Paddy. There was Jack Pomfret. And the Mobility Centre, there was Gwen Marsh, Dr Evans and Jean, and a whole load of others, and Helen. You know, there yeah. were loads and loads of people who were all part of the journey. But it's brilliant, because what it does as a journey is it just brings you into contact with loads and loads of different people. Yeah, no, it's, it's been um, extraordinary. I mean, you've, you've got a... a a better memory for all the names or have you got them all written down in front of you i'm just sitting there writing them down before we came online but oh we, right I was, I was thinking about it yesterday i was just thinking about all the different people you know lots of them are no longer with us but um i'm sure oh. some of them still are and it's you know i think they all deserve a mention which yes which we sort of which we've sort of done but yeah no i think collectively i think there's an awful lot of people that that um I mean, it just really, really gained a, a lot of momentum and reached that sort of critical mass quite quickly. And uh, yeah, I think it was it was quite sort of groundbreaking, groundbreaking in many ways. Yeah, it was just you know, and you know, uh, it it was sort of the 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 time was perfect to 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 do it as well. I think it was sort of it was all it, it was all quite serendipitous that that uh, you know, I mean. It sounds like the wrong thing to say, but you know, getting MS, you got you got MS at exactly the right time. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? You know, yeah. No, that I, I came back to Cornwall. I was, I was living in Barcelona at the time, like we said. Mm. Someone said to me, "How do you feel about going back to Cornwall?" I said, "Well, I'm a bit frightened because I don't think I'll ever leave, just because it's a great place to be and there's a great bunch of people down here." But you know, there we go. It's home, isn't it? That's what it's all about. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. Mm. There we go. Listen, Luke Murray, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for your journey. And to you, Theo. Yeah, been great. And for your time. And uh, speak to you soon. All right. Cheers. Bye. Bye.